Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, We are back, and we continue our walk through the Revelation. Uh, If you want to go ahead and turn to where we'll be today, uh, we will be uh, studying uh, chapter 13. Uh, Even though I was promoting all day today, chapter 12, I I don't know why I did that. That was last week. Uh, It's it's Revelation 13, 1 through 10 today. We're only going to do the first 10 verses but that will be plenty for us to cover today. If you're new to the program uh, and new to this uh, this Bible study, we are in the Revelation. Uh, since I've told you that we're in chapter 13 today, that means we've been through the first 12 chapters of the Revelation. If you need to go back and catch those archives, audio or video, you can do that by going to themanchurch.com. Uh, you see that on the screen behind me if you're watching, if you're listening. Themanchurch.com is, uh, is the website. That's the hub for the men's discipleship strategy. Uh, this is a Bible study. Study that came out of uh, working on that strategy uh, almost ten years ago. Uh, so this is uh, this is that small group setting where we study the Word of God together, and then we go out to, to events where we get challenged in man church services, and then back into the the small group Bible studies to be equipped. Uh, and we have that strategy for you. We feature four. 40-week curricula, and you can find those uh, at themanchurch.com. That plugs into your small groups. We even provide, provide that for you. We send out men to teach on the gatherings, and we have some of those coming up we'll tell you about. One thing I do want to make you aware of today, uh, we do have an individual resource that came out in February uh, at the end at the Man Church Conference called Transformed, uh, Embracing the Death of Self and the power of God. This 31-day devotional, uh, it is the first one that uh, that I, on my own, was asked uh, to do the all of the, uh, the commentary. Uh, did that. Uh, that was a daunting task, but excited about uh, how, uh, how it's being used. And a lot of you were saying, how about signed copies for Father's Day? And we put that together. You can do that. But today, which would be June the 7th, if you are catching this live, if it's past that, then you missed it. Uh, today is the last day for you to go and get a signed copy of that devotional. And if you want to find the link that will take you right, and you got to use the right link, uh, two things you can do. Go to rickandbubba.com. You'll see in show notes today right there on that home website. On sh- just click on show notes. You'll see the link. Uh, it has the logo of the devotional and everything. Click on that, and then you can get a, a signed copy by, by Father's Day next weekend. Another way to do it is go to themanchurch.com. Uh, just work through the process of getting in the store, and when you get in the store, you'll see a banner there at the top of the store, and it says click here for a signed copy. Today's the last day to do that. A couple of man churches going on. That's the high challenge part of our strategy. Uh, these are man church services. They're going on all over the country. Uh, this Sunday night uh, down around Tampa, uh, Clearwater, down in that area in Webster, Florida, First Baptist Church, Brian Gunn. Uh, who is from that area. He's, he's going home to see family. Then he's going to come speak to you guys on Sunday. Uh, he'll be doing the next man church, and then you'll have an opportunity to plug into one of our curriculum that I, they are doing there at uh, First Baptist Church in Webster, Florida. Next weekend, the man church uh, uh, will be in the lobby, and I'll be speaking at the Gridiron Men's Conference uh, with Mike Pence, Robert Jeffress, uh, also uh, David Jeremiah will be there, Mike Whitson will be there, Charles Billingsley doing worship, Phil Waldrop will be speaking, and I'll be speaking as well, and we will be in the lobby with our resources for you uh, if you want to do that next weekend. That's in Huntsville, Alabama. Those details also uh, can be found by going to gridironmen.com. On that Sunday morning, Brian Gunn will be in Birmingham. That's one of our teachers at Valleydale Church. That's my home church for our men's breakfast. That's our next gathering. He'll be speaking there, and we'll plug you into our small groups, also doing curriculum from themanchurch.com. Then on the 19th, uh, that, uh, that Monday evening, I'll head to Prattville, Alabama. I'll be speaking, uh, be there at Spirit Walk Ministries. They're kicking off uh, the Men's Discipleship Strategy. They've started uh, the curriculum, and I'll be there for their uh, first man church. And you can find all those details and any more by going to themanchurch.com. Click on events to find out where the services are. Click on the store to find out about all the curriculum and to watch and find out how the strategy works, and we'll help you in a way we can. So let's pray, and then let's jump into unpacking uh, the Revelation chapter 13. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, may your Holy Spirit guide us and help us to discern properly uh, all of these incredible events uh, that uh, that are going to happen. Uh, and, uh, and as you have said uh, uh, in this revelation, uh, those of us that... Um, that are educating ourselves, 
as Peter tells us in Second uh, Peter chapter 3, uh, since we have been allowed to know all these things about what is coming, you would think that we would live our lives as godly and holy people based on what we have been allowed to know. May that be our challenge today, to ask the question, are we living in a way that we believe these things are to come? In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, let's let's look at uh, the Revelation chapter 13. Um, we're going to, we're, again, remember, we've, we've made that pivot where chronologically we're no longer moving in a chronological fashion. We're now looking back uh, at what we think really was somewhere around the third trumpet, but we're just seeing it uh, from Satan's point of view. Uh, that will continue for for another chapter. So, what John is allowed to see now is is, is what what, it, what he calls the first beast. So, so understand during the chaos of the tribulation, this is going to show you that this is going to be a look back. During the chaos of the tribulation, the whole world uh, that 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 is here, uh, they are going to be saying, "We need a leader. We need someone powerful. We need someone influential, and we need somebody that that can you unite." Uh, you know the divided and, and and the contentious nations of the world. We got problems. Everybody's not on the same page. If we could just have one leader, if we could just have somebody who's gifted enough to take the whole world and put it under one world government, and we would all work together and sing "Kumbaya" all together. Where is this leader? Uh, someone to bring hope. Someone to bring security. They will desperately. Seek a strong, charismatic, authoritative leader to pull the world back from the brink of disaster, and Satan will be allowed to provide that very leader. Remember, remember this. Be careful what you're desperate for. Be careful what you long for. Be careful what you wish for. And if the things that we are wishing for do not come through the filter of the Holy Spirit— then likely we are on the wrong track. Because I don't know about you, the things that my sin nature wants for me have never been the right thing. And then, of course, the bad part about the sin nature is what? It's never satisfied. It's never enough. Uh, but uh, So this longing will be fulfilled. Now look, look throughout. This is nothing new. If you work through the history of the Bible, what do you see, especially with, with the nation of Israel, you see that God said, my plan's a theocracy. That's my plan. You know, we always demonize a theocracy, and that's true if it's human beings doing it, you know, because that can get corrupted. But really, God always intended a theocracy as long as he was the, the king. And what did his own people say to him? We don't want you. We, we want to be ruled just like the other nations. We feel kind of left out that we don't have a a worldly king. And you know what? One of the most dangerous things that God can say to the sinner, I'll give you exactly what you want. That's what you want. I love you enough to let you have it. And then you're going to regret it. And hopefully it'll break you down so much you'll cry back out for me. And he did this over and over and over uh, with his people. And so here's the world now, Jew and Gentile, sitting there saying to God again, whether they know it or not, give us somebody to bring all this together. And he says, I'm the only one that can bring all this together. And you know what people say? Not you. We want somebody we can touch and feel. Give us a charismatic, authoritative. Have you noticed this? You know, why do you think cult leaders always work? Because they're authoritative. They're charismatic. You know, I mean, we, uh, human beings love that. And, and are easily led. We just get enamored with that. Why do you think it is every time a celebrity says something remotely, remotely faithful? We don't check his theology. We don't check his doctrine. Let's get him up here leading us. I heard somebody the other day says, have you heard Jim Carrey's testimony? And I said, I, I, you know, I, Jim Carrey finally said something that made some sense, but I, I don't know that he's ready to speak at Gridiron. You know what I mean? Uh it's uh, I mean, we love that Kanye. We couldn't get enough of Kanye. Nice walking around in shoulder pads. I mean, this is a man who told us he was mentally ill. But but Kanye's charismatic. Kanye's a celebrity. We gotta let him. Listen, we gotta start doing stuff with him. Of course, you know he. So far, it doesn't look good. You know, it's okay to say we we need to adapt more of the the Billy Sunday thing. Y'all heard me say this all the time. Hey, I heard that Jim Carrey may have made a decision for Christ. We'll see. We'll see. 
Hey, Kanye's in. We'll see. Maybe. Hopefully. Prayfully. But just because somebody's, you know, and then you go, no, how about this? What if I give you, uh, you know, maybe a, a somebody's been teaching Sunday school for 40 years and knows the Bible forward and backward, has all the doctrine training, has sound theology. Yeah, but we've never heard of them. They don't have a platform. They're not a celebrity. They're not charismatic. Well, be careful when, when you start seeking all these experiences and people that make you feel good uh, because they're really dangerous people. And uh, sometimes you get the best of all worlds, you know, Adrian Rogers. Okay, I mean, I mean, let, let, let's face it that uh, that was uh, that was a man who was gifted to speak and teach, and he could be charismatic, but but his doctrine was also as clear as the way he could speak, and that's the key. You want you want you, you know, we got a lot of great orators, but what they're saying is a bunch of garbage. You know, it's a bunch of feel goodism. It's a bunch of psycho babble. If, if, if it's not coming for, through sound theology, it may sound good, but it's just psycho babble, is all it is. You know, it, you know, be careful with these people that say they, you know, people say, I'm going to give you a lot of life applications. Say, I'd like to hear some Bible verses first. Now, if you want to tell me how to apply these verses, I'm all about that. But I just don't want to hear you tell me something a counselor could have told me or something my mom and daddy taught me. Uh, I want to hear Scripture, and then you tell me, you help me understand it. I'm fine with that. You know, so so anyway, so these longings will be fulfilled. He's going to seem perfect, and, and he, he, how about he says, I am here, and for a brief time, guess what? It's going to look and feel really, really good because you know what he's going to do? He is going to bring peace. He's going to bring prosperity. It's going to be everything the people have yearned for. But here's the problem. They're not yearning for God. They're yearning, they're yearning for happiness. They're yearning for an easy time. They want the difficulty to be removed. They want to be prosperous. And they want to hear from somebody from the world that they've come here to solve the problems. And they can be whoever they want to be. They can pursue all their dreams. They can follow their heart even though the Bible says that's the worst thing you could do. Don't ever tell anybody you love to follow their heart. Please don't tell them that. That's the worst thing you could tell them. Okay, but this guy, he's going to be something. But he's going to turn out to be more cruel and take more power, now think about this statement, than any leader the world has ever known. He's going to seem like the best of the best, and he's going to turn to be the worst of the worst. Think about the worst world leader you've ever known. He will make that person look like kindergarten. It'll go from one extreme to the other, and it's going to happen quick. And you know, you ever had that happen? Uh-oh. Mama told me not to come. You ever been in that situation? It looked good on paper, didn't it? And then you turn around and go, where in the world am I right now? What am I doing here? So... We, of course, are talking about the Antichrist, uh, and, and it'll be a culmination of a long line of political rulers. He'll, he'll also be the, uh, uh, the ultimate false uh, prophet. Think of all the false religious leaders we've ever known. He will be far above any religious charlatan that we have seen yet. Uh, now, the New Testament talks about him a lot. Uh, you know, I try to give you cross-references uh, because there's so much that you can use. So if you want to see things about Antichrist in the New Testament, now I'm going to tell you the second letter to Thessalonians is going to have a lot in there. We're going to reference that a lot today. But also look at 1 John 2.18, write that one down, uh, and then Paul to Thessalonica and 2 Thessalonians 2. 3 through 10. Paul unpacks it in great detail there. Daniel, of course, back in the Old Testament, of course, uh, Daniel has spoke of him um, uh, from chapter 7 all the way through chapter 11. He's he's mentioned in various ways throughout all those chapters, if you want to go read that. So, um, so now that we know Satan has been cast permanently from heaven, uh, he now knows his time is brief, and so he's going to empower his final Antichrist, uh, and John is going to give us a very detailed picture of him in this chapter. So let's look at verse 1 uh, of chapter 13 of the Revelation. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, with ten diadems, uh, and on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. So in this this first uh, verse, we got a lot. So it, it says that I, I, he he you're going to see here in a minute that he's standing 
Uh, look up right up above him before we, we got into 13. Look at 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. We talked about that. But then look at this transition phrase here. And he stood, talking about what we're about talking about now, on the sand of the sea. So remember, standing on the sands of the sea, what this symbolizes is, is that he is standing over all the nations. So, so the beast, of course, equals the Antichrist, and, and, we, and we read about this in chapter 11, verse 7. This is not an animal. Don't, don't, don't use the beast as any sort of animal. Uh, this, uh, th- th- this describes, because he's called a beast, why, why do we call him a beast? Well, because he's ferocious. That's his personality. His personality is like a beast, ferocious. Uh, he, he represents um, you know, not just a person but also a kingdom. It's actually both, both that he's representing. The, the sea always equals the abyss. As a matter of fact, one of the things we'll see later in the Revelation, uh, but anyway, if you look at it back, uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 7, and then we'll talk about it again in 17, verse 8, especially to the Hebrews, the sea always represented evil. You know, they were afraid of the sea. Uh, and 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 because the, it, it was always associated in the Old Testament as a realm of sat, uh, satanic activity, I can give you tons of Old Testament verses about that. Job twenty six twelve, uh, Psalms seventy four, thirteen and fourteen. I'm not going to do all of them. Psalms eighty nine verses nine and ten. Isaiah talks about this uh, in chapter twenty seven verse one. So this this when you hear see. They understand. And remember, we get to the end, the new heaven, new earth. What what are we going to find? Spoiler. You hear the term, and the sea is no more. You ever wonder about that? What's wrong with the sea? Well, this. This is what's wrong with it, what it represents. I mean, this terror and this sin and this satanic, this mysterious, you know, this, you know, have you heard it said before, we know more about space than we do about the sea, about the oceans? Uh, because of the limits. So this has always represented uh, evil and darkness. Uh, the Antichrist, though, will be a man. Uh, we get this clear in 2 Thessalonians 2.4. I told you we'd reference it a lot. Just like I gave you the assignment of Matthew 24, when we talk about Antichrist, let me give you an assignment of 2 Thessalonians uh, starting in chapter 2 and going forward. But at some point, this man, and it will be a man to begin with, is going to be possessed, some people think, by Lucifer himself. Others think just by one of those high-ranking demons that we talked about that have been the princes of all these evil nations. At some point, he becomes completely under the power of, of demonic forces. Okay, And uh, and that's just, you know how it goes. They have been disembodied after being thrown out of heaven. That's why they're always looking for host. That's why you know when Jesus cast him out of the man, remember what they said, don't put us in the abyss, throw us in those pigs. they got to have somewhere to go. And so they're going to take over his body at some point uh, and, uh, and will be completely running him. He'll be their host. Uh, these are probably one of the ones that's been released from the abyss. Now, he will be gifted. Oh, orator, we will love to hear him talk. If you're here, I just wish he'd talk more. He's going to be incredibly intellectual, come across as being a genius, great charmer, charisma galore. Uh, he'll have immense leadership power. Remember what Scripture tells us. For those that are still here, he will fool even the most intelligent. That's how good he'll be. The deception will be incredible. Uh, and so, But the power that he possesses will be hellish. It will come directly from Satan himself. His wickedness will be as, power, uh, as powerful as all the other attributes he has. He will be just as evil as he is impressive. So, so, so keep that in mind. All who reject Christ, we know in Scripture what? All who reject Christ. What does Scripture tell us they are? Children of the devil. You ever thought about that? You know, when we, when we talked about that a, a, a few weeks ago? See, I think some of us, I was guilty of this. No, no, most everything we talk about that's supposed to be a challenge to you is because I'm talking to me. I've been there. I've done it. Okay? So this is not me saying you need to. I'm saying we need to. Always. Always hear it that way. Because I know, because sadly I've been there, is that we we want to find this place. We were just talking about it before we started. We want to find this place that says, you know what? I'm not really all for God, meaning obedience. 
I still want to do whatever I want to do. Now, I think I believe enough that I'm not going to be thrown into hell for eternity. And, and we believe that somewhere out there it exists, this middle ground that is not really sold out to God, but I'm certainly not evil. Y'all know that doesn't exist. That's some choice we've all made up. I mean, that, that human beings have made that up. Scripture tells you you're either a child of God or you're not going through a rough patch or you're, 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 there's children of God. Then there's those that are kind of, they're not too bad, they're not too good. Then you got the evil people. That, that middle thing we've made up does not exist. If you're not a child of God, you're a child of the devil. And that's straight out of Scripture. If you don't believe that, go read uh, uh, John when he writes his gospel, chapter 8, verse 44. And then he really doubles down when he's taking on the Gnostics in 1 John. He makes it crystal clear. He says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning because God's seed has come into their life. And if God's seed has come into your life, there is no way you can continue to continually and perpetually and deliberately sin. He said, make no mistake, you're either a child of God, and if you are not, you're a child of the devil. And he even says, this is how we know the difference. How? By how we live our lives. Now, we're not talking about a stumble. We're not talking about my sin nature got me today and I made a mistake. I, I went before God and I, I've, done, I've had to do that. I'm so sorry for what I did. I, I'm not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the person, like we had a conversation earlier, who sits there and says, I know I'm drunk this weekend. Can't wait. I know I'm going to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend or some random person. I know I can't. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, I know I'm going to sit here and watch some smut porn. I know I am. As soon as I can get some free time, that's what I'm going to do today to fill my time. I know that I'm going to lie to get ahead at work. I know that this is stuff that you know you're going to do, and you don't even have any conviction about it. Then you go, but don't worry, I still believe in God. Well, so does Satan. So do the demons. How many times I got to tell you guys this? The demons get Jesus right before the disciples do. They know exactly who he is. They're calling him by the right names. The disciples haven't yet. They still think he's coming to wage war against the Romans. and over, They get down to Pentecost and say, is this the time that you establish your kingdom? And he's like, guys, I'm about to put the Holy Spirit on you, and at that point you'll be completely different people. Okay? Even Peter, you're, you're, you're the son of God. Well, you know that I must, I must die. I won't let that happen. You know, and then the demons keep screaming out, Oh, son of God. Oh, oh, son of the Holy One. Please don't throw us in the abyss. Please don't torture us yet. So if all you got is a belief in God, but your life is deliberate, perpetual, continuous sin, Scripture says, not Rick. Doesn't matter what Rick thinks. You better know what God thinks. Scripture says you're a child of the devil. You're fake. And so so that so he is going to be, even though that's the case, it's, one of the commentaries I was reading, I think it was John Phillips, he said he will be more completely the devil's child than anyone else has ever been in history. We all, everybody's got problems, but this guy is going to be, he's going to be more of a child of the devil than anybody you've ever seen. His family likeness, which is what John is being shown, is undeniable. So we, we know when he says first, he said, I tell you, I, I saw uh, th this beast rising out of the sea because I was standing on the, uh, the, the, the he was standing on the, on the on the sand of the sea and, and he was coming up out of the sea. The, I saw ten horns. So the ten horns uh, always represent strength. Uh, you know, uh, we we see this all the time. Uh, he's got what these crowns, the, di the the diadems that are on him or the diadems that are on him, however you say it. You look at chapter 12, verse 3 for that. We've already talked about that just, just last week. He, he, that represents these crowns that, that he's gotten from all these different nations. And, of course, he's got the, the seven heads as well. So horns are strength and power, both for attack and defense. Great powers here uh, from the kings, each under the authority of the Antichrist. And this number 10 you see used in, in, in the fourth beast. Daniel talks about the ten horns in chapter 7. Uh, you'll see that in Daniel 7, verse 3, and also verse 24. This represents the world's political and military might. He, he will rise among the ten nations, but he will rule the entire world. 
Where does he come up out of? Well, 10 specific nations, but he'll still have the authority over the entire world. That's Daniel 2, 41 through 44. And, and there will be some sense, we're not real clear on this, but you hear it talked about a lot, so look for it. And to some degree, Scripture is pointing, we're going to see the revival of the Roman Empire, to some degree. Uh, the details vary, and there's some disagreement on that. But this Antichrist is going to rise up and be given power out of some form of the resurrection, for lack of a better term, or the revival of the Roman Empire. So, so you know, hopefully you ain't going to be here for this. But, but, but if you are, uh, be aware of that. And, of course, these royal crowns I told you about, um, uh, that, that just shows that he has regal authority. He's got victorious power like this big ruling king. But notice something else. John says there's blasphemous names on these heads. When I see these ten nations and I see this regal power, they represent blasphemous names. Now, what, is he, what does he mean by that? Uh, well, the, these rulers uh, that we've seen throughout history, uh, they, have you ever noticed they'll call themselves Alexander the Great? They'll call their, they, they act like they're gods. They act like they, you know, they're, 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 you know, there's one thing to say that God gave me the power. It's another thing saying that I now have become God. I'm great. I'm mighty. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, everybody should, should call me. They always give themselves these arrogant divine names and titles that dishonor the true and living God. And, and so that's what he's talking about. They, they follow, actually, their master, the Antichrist, who, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or, uh, or object of worship so that he takes his seat. Even at one point, we know, he will eventually take his seat in God's temple, displaying himself as being God. And you'll find that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. So that's what he sees first. So now let's look, now let's look at verse 2, the, his authority. Verse 2, And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like bears, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And, and to it the dragon gave his power, there's Satan, and his throne and great authority. Again, Daniel chapter 7 helps you a lot here. Verses 3 through 7, here's what we know. We see the leopard, we see the bear, we see the lion. These were well-known images in Palestine. The lion represents fierce, consuming power of the Babylonian Empire. The bear represents strength and stability of the Persian Empire. The leopard, I mentioned Alexander the Great, here he is. Uh, the leopard represents the speed and the viciousness of the Greeks, mainly displayed in Alexander the Great. Uh, and John lists them. This is the difference between John and Daniel. Pick this up. This is pretty cool. If you went to Daniel 7 right now, you would see that Daniel lists them in a different order. John is seeing it in reverse order since he what? He's looking backward. Daniel was looking ahead. So these kingdoms came out that way for Daniel. For John, looking back, they came out this way. He's, he's going back in time. Daniel was looking forward in time. You see this? So don't let that order throw you. There's a reason the order is different. Uh, and, um, and so Daniel actually saw it in chronological order where John saw it in reverse order. Okay? So... The uh, the this is just like that indescribable. You remember Daniel said in, in seven seven that that the fourth beast was indescribable. Uh, it represented the the Roman Empire when Daniel was looking at it. Well, Antichrist's final empire empire will be will incorporate all the the veracity and viciousness and swiftness and strength of all the other empires. Let me tell you what you're gonna have with Antichrist. You ready? If, you, if right now you said all the empires of the world, the Antichrist says, I represent the all-star team. They all, I encompass all of them. You're not just dealing with one at a time. Picture what it would be like to deal with all of them at the same time. That's who I am. That's how much power he's going to be given. So uh, the power of the empire will be unparalleled in human history. And here's the thing. Any attempt to stop the Antichrist will fail. And, of course, what makes it so wonderful for those of you that are watching this, listening to this, or in the room, for those of you that are redeemed, the pathetic attempt of what he's going to lead against Christ will be equally as pathetic, if not more. 
If you look uh, to the future, this pathetic group will try to put themselves out in front of Christ, and it is over like that. So think about how powerful the God that redeemed us is if if compared to the, the, the Lord and Savior that redeemed us. His power compared to what I just described, there's still a giant chasm. It's not even close. What he's going to do is going to look impressive on earthly terms. But but under the kingdom of God, it will not amount to much. So I'd like to ask, why would you not want to be under the authority of Christ? If you're under the authority of Christ, what I'm reading to you right now shouldn't scare you in the least. Now, if you're not, I'd be terrified. And I don't know what you're waiting on. You know, remember one of the greatest ploys that the adversary plays. So you see all this loud power, strength, power, strength, power, strength. You're like, wow, I don't want to face that. And and we wouldn't. I mean, you'd have to be an idiot, okay? However, what you better be careful you don't fall victim to is for this constant, when God brings you this close to repentance, this close, and suddenly the adversary begins to whisper in your ear, just not today. This isn't going to happen today. You still got that plan. You're still going, you know, where this weekend. You still got that date. You still got that that job interview. You still got that raise coming. You still got that tax return coming. You still got that meal you're looking forward to today. Yeah, I just feel like right now, though, God, I'm just being confronted with where I stand with God. Well, you go ahead. And, and you know what? One day you need to deal with that. Just not today. Go on with your business today. The Antichrist is not showing up today. And you'll probably work it out and never face the Antichrist. You'll be fine. And you do need to get to that. Just not today. Now let me tell you about just not today. What he is hoping, and it has happened more times than not, is that we can just not today ourselves right into hell. Suddenly you just not today it, and you ain't got another day. Or you have many other days, but you just not today it into a continuous day after day of not today in it, all the way till you died or Christ returned. Look, I've been there. Apathy is easy to fall into. This world has, is full of distractions, and all of them are intended to hoping that you'll go to hell. And here's the sad part. Most people will. I'm going to say that again. Not some people. Most people will. That's Scripture. Jesus himself said the road to destruction is wide and easy, and that's where, he's, his words, that's where most people are. But, the, but, the, but the, the narrow gate to the truth and to redemption is hard, and very few do it. I don't know how to interpret that any other way. I, 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 had, I, I haven't been to seminary and got my, my MDiv, but I'm telling you, I can understand that. One road is wide and easy and leads to destruction, and most people are there, according to Jesus. And there's another gate that's narrow and hard that leads to life under his authority. And Jesus said people do that or few. So if you look, I want you to think about it right now. If you don't believe that, I want you to think about this right now. How many people do you know? Not not believers. How many people do you know that you would say are sold out followers of Christ, being sanctified, and love their Lord and Savior so much they obey him in everything they do? I mean, you'd be hard-pressed for anybody you know that even reads the Bible on a regular basis. Most people, you know, even if they attend church, they're not a four out of four out of four Sunday guy or woman. They're about a two, a one. Can I tell you the funny thing about the guy who just gave his life to Christ? Jack, I've told you his story. He's on fire. He's he's eating the word of God. He don't even look the same. His physical appearance looks different. Okay, you know what he said this past Sunday? I was surprised how many people were going there checking their name off the row. They're actually on the row. I said, what do you mean, Jack? He said, I'd never seen them before. He'd been there five Sundays in a row. He said, man, there was a lot of people I've seen for the first time, and they were over there. Are they on the row? I said, they are on the row. 
He said, well, I've never seen them. I said, no, no. I said, you'll see them probably about one out of five Sundays. He came to church on Sunday of, 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 of Memorial Day weekend. He didn't know what happened. He said, where's everybody at? I said, today you'll be in worship with everybody who doesn't have a lake house or a beach house. It's just us today. Huh? So, 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 so I mean, no, watching him, because he doesn't have any of this garbage, this cultural Christianity that a lot of us had to work through. He don't have that. So he's just speaking bluntly. Who are these people? They're, they're on the row. They are. You know, he said, how many people on the row in this Sunday school class? I, about, I said, about 170. He said, how many people do you normally have? I said, anywhere, usually anywhere from 70 to 75. He said, but where's the rest of them? I said, that's a good question. I had a pastor tell me one time that there's a lot of people that the FBI couldn't even find. But they're on the row, aren't they? Huh? So, so anyway, um, but watching his perspective is actually quite convicting. It really is, because he don't have any of this garbage. All he knows is that he was dying going to hell, and he got redeemed. And he's found a hope in Christ that he didn't know existed. He said he didn't even believe in God. But he does now. And it's, and it's radically changing his life. Has it radically changed your life? Yeah, amen. Me too. Uh, I, at one time I can say that I would have claimed to have been a Christian when it had not changed my life. And that's when I realized I was just lost. I sat down with a guy the other day. He's sitting down and talked to me. Horrible things, horrible things. His whole life just d- deliberate perpetual sin. And he said, you know, I just don't know what the problem is. I said, have you ever considered you probably just lost? Why do you think, why do you think you've been redeemed? And we go back to some baptism when he was a kid or whatever. And some of those are absolutely solid. Some of these kids, they get baptized. Their life is solid the rest of their life. So I'm not demeaning that. But see, he thought since he got baptized one time that he must be okay. But he couldn't explain the deliberate perpetual sin and that he was planning in his life. He couldn't explain that. And I said, well, maybe you're just lost. I was. Have you ever thought about that? And then I noticed that when we got into repentance, there were a lot of buts. I did this but. I did this but. Well, I do that but. And I said, that's not repentance. <coughs> if you keep putting but in there, that's not repentance. That's not the vomiting of the soul. I said, repentance is when you stand before God and say, I am wretched. I have blasphemed you. I have sinned against you, and I have no excuse for doing it. I could have been obedient to you, and I rejected your standard, and I'm done justifying it. I'm done making excuses. I'm done with, I did it because my mama died when I was a kid. I did it because somebody didn't treat me right. I did it because I had a rough patch one time. I did it because of this, and then one time I went through that, and one time I went that. No, no, every one of us, there's no justification for sin. And when, you, and when you repent, you finally stop saying that. I need to be forgiven. I need to be redeemed. I reject sin, and I turn from sin to you, and I can't justify being a sinner in front of a holy God because ultimately I've sinned against you, and you ain't never treated me bad. You redeemed me. So you're the one I'm repenting to, not to other people. Now, do you need to go back and make good with other people? You do if you can. But you can't do that till you get right with him. Anytime you have sin in your life and you say you keep doing it and you make an excuse about it, that's not repentance. Jesus did not go to the cross for excuses. He went to the cross for sin. So don't bring your excuses to him. Bring your sin to him. And this is another refinement that God is using right now through the Antichrist. The force behind the power, the dragon, of course, we know that's not a human force. That is the demon's. And um, the angels will not intervene, and Antichrist will rise to power at God's appointed time. Don't miss that. We have seen this before uh, in the rehearsals, the Hitlers and the Mussolinis and, the, and the, all the different evil people that have been rehearsals for this. Antichrist will make Hitler look like a child's game. Verse 3, one of the heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Uh, the wound will be to one of the heads. Now, this is much debated, um, but, but we, some try to say that it's a narrative about the nations, but that's unlikely uh, because verse 3 does not say, uh, you know, it, it's talking about that it said, when it says one, one of the heads, one of its heads, 
when you look at that, see that 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 feels a little bit different. Uh, and and then if and it's what really says is the beast himself will be slain. Now we'll we'll see this later in thirteen, twelve, and fourteen. Also in seventeen, eight, eleven, it becomes more clear that this wound that he's talking about happens actually to the beast himself, uh, because it, it, if it's a nation. Uh, and it's restored. That's that's really not likely because that wouldn't really cause the whole world to, to be in astonishment. Oh, a nation fell, but then it was restored. That wouldn't really get our attention. Like I saw him get killed, and now he's alive. Now, what do you think? That's mocking the resurrection. He's going to he's going to make a play that he was resurrected. Okay. Now, that, now a lot of people believe he never was really killed. It's a pretend resurrection. Or was Satan given the power to raise him from the dead? That's that's not likely. Because that seems to be a Holy Spirit uh, uh, exclusive, but but what the world will see it that it was a, a mortal wound of some kind, um, and you know when uh, when when we when we speak of Jesus in uh, in in chapter five verse six earlier, this same phrase with Jesus being wounded is used here by John. So we are talking about a mortal wound to this person. Uh, and, and so this is clearly think uh, speaking of the person of the Lord Jesus back in five. So if he's using this same wound that he saw the lamb, this is the same word. And I saw and it, and the, the lamb appeared to be wounded. Well, this same words being used here saying this, this, the beast seemed to be wounded. He's using the same phrase. So he's definitely talking about, um, a person. Uh, so the most popular view of all these is that the fatal wound is going to heal uh, in the in the future antichrist and now whether it's a real death as i said or a fake death that's unclear but most think it will be a fake death uh, we'll see this in uh, chapter 14 verse 2 when we go through the revelation the revelation but if you want to go back to second thessalonians again you're going to see this um, in uh, chapter 2 uh, in verse 9 uh, that uh, that there's that he, he talks about he'll do false signs and wonders so that kind of lends itself. This is a false death. He pretends to be killed, but really isn't. Uh, it's a counterfeit version of Christ's resurrection, as we said, most likely staged uh, so that people will believe. Uh, how Whatever he's doing, when he does it, guess what? Everybody goes all in. Here's what we do know. The people are fooled by it, and they go all in. He's, ra- he's risen himself from the dead, you know, mocking Christ. Resurrection, which then leads to the next thing, his adoration. Oh, the fascination. But now now keep in mind, we've seen this happen right here on earth, verse 4, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? Now don't miss what John is saying here, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, the dragon didn't receive the mortal wound. I thought he was empowered by the dragon. But look what John said, they worshipped the dragon. See, when we worship these false teachers and these false prophets, we're worshiping Satan is who we're worshiping. They're nothing but being used by him for us to worship him. That's what this is all about. This will ultimately be worship of Satan. And listen to the people. Now remember this, this is important to pay attention to the wrong kind of worship in the times we're living in. You don't need an antichrist for you to be worshiping a person that we shouldn't be worshiping. What does it say clearly? We think he was raised from the dead. That's why you got to watch these signs and wonders, people, because listen to what they say. Listen to this. Let me, let me put this in a phrase we can all easily understand. Fascination turns into worship. Somebody write that down. Fascination becomes worship. It always does. We worship celebrities. We worship sports. We worship all kinds of stuff because fascination is always that road to worship. It's okay to see something go, hey, that was fascinating. It's another thing for it to let it turn into worship. Worshiping him is worshiping Satan. If you don't believe that, read 1 Corinthians 10, 20. Paul takes this on. He says, you pagans are ultimately worshiping Satan, and there's all kinds of examples of that. All kinds of examples of that. He's going back to the church of Corinth. He goes, where have we let this sin and the city outside back into the church? Watch out when the world starts creeping into the church. 
And Paul says, I'm going to tell you what's happening. You're not just drifting a little bit. If you're not worshiping God correctly, if you're not worshiping the right, biblically sound uh, version of God, the God of the Bible, if you're worshiping something else, this is not mild. You are worshiping Satan himself. Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war with him? This language is reserved throughout Scripture for God alone. And they begin to say things about the beast that we are only supposed to say about God. Think about that. Be careful when you say things about idols that are as only reserved for God alone. They will believe he is what they need, and he will then become what they want. Didn't God say that to his people? So you want a king? Okay. Let me tell you what he's going to do to you. But you can certainly have him. Samuel, don't get upset. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But if that's what you want, then that's what you get. Verses 5 through 6, his arrogance. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty, and blasphemous words. Now, here are the words that you may struggle with. People don't like this, but we got we got to take God for who He is. Underline it's underlined in my Bible. I'm gonna say it again here in a minute. And it was allowed. Underline it. Stare at it. Take it. Apply it. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. So for three and a half years, the beast is allowed to exercise his authority, and who allows it? God. Go ahead and say it. God allows it, which means he's in control. So you don't get so upset about that. One thing that ought to kind of give you some hope is, like, oh, so God's in control. He's not going to rule any longer than God allows him. That's correct. We always see that and go, why would God allow something like that? Have you ever thought about it? Thank God God's allowed it. Because that means he's in control. This isn't out of control. God, God's going, I don't know what's up with the beast. I don't know how long he's going to rule. You know what God says? When this happens, it'll be three and a half years on the nose. He won't rule another minute past that. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 24? He says what? If my father allowed this second, the great tribulation, to go on any longer, nobody would survive it. There's mercy in that. So God is in control of this completely. He allows him to mock and blaspheme him, and it, it, it will not be subtle. Even to the point of taking his seat in the temple, Isaiah 14, 14 talks about this. And, and what does Isaiah say? The beast says, I will make myself like the Most High. Daniel predicts this in, in, in back in 7 again, but this time in verse 8, a mouth uttering great boast. He also says in verse 11, the sound of boastful words, which the horn was speaking. Daniel goes on to say that he will speak against the Most High. He will be Satan's arrogant mouth peace. And God gives him three and a half years to run his mouth. But God is in control. Go ahead. Get it out. Say what you got to say. I'll allow it. Why is he allowing it? But it goes back to what we, we said before. He, he's being merciful to the people that are still here. He's trying. He's giving everybody every shot. See, I say this all the time, especially when I, more I've studied this. And, 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 and it's a, it's a, you ever hear people say, hey, don't do that. Be careful. You may just die. Hey, watch what you do. You may die. I ain't afraid to die. You know what I'm preparing for? What I need to really be concentrating on? Be careful because you might live. If I die, then yeah. <laughs> good luck to y'all. I'll see you on the other side. What I found much more difficult is living and being sure I'm pointing people to him and not pointing them somewhere they shouldn't be pointed, that I'm not embarrassing God. Once I'm dead, my chances of embarrassing him are over. And if I get too embarrassing, he'll take me out to protect y'all and to protect me. But what I'm much more concerned with about is not dying. I'm much more concerned about living. That's a much greater task. And, uh, and so in this case, whew, 
I don't know why anybody would sign up for this. So war then will also be allowed by God in verse 7. Look, again, allowed by God. Also, it was, say it, allowed. It was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them. And authority was, was given it over to every tribe and people and language and nation. So God is going to allow it to open its mouth and blaspheme him, blaspheme his name, his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. He's going to blaspheme everybody. The angels are going to be saying, stand down. And then he's going to allow him to make war, not just on those who are still rejecting him. He's going to allow him to make war on the saints that have actually repented during the tribulation. And authority is going to be given over to every tribe and people and language and nation. So he, he is going to be allowed to do a worldwide slaughter of God's people. They'll be martyred, and he's going to be allowed to do it. You realize everybody who's martyred, God allowed it to happen. You don't think he could stop it? So what he's doing, though, is what he's missing. I think about the Coptic Christians in Egypt that were beheaded on the shores. Did y'all see that horrible footage? And you know what they said? And you know what their family said? This is going to show the world that our faith is real. We're going to sit right here and say, and they say, all you got to do is blaspheme Jesus. Just, just, hey, just recant. And they said, we'd rather have our heads cut off than recant. Well, can't you see where some people go, now, wait a minute. It's kind of what I say about those that go, well, I don't know if you can really trust the Bible and what these guys said. Let me tell you something about these guys, the followers of Jesus. They may die, okay? They, they, they may die with no control, but if I've been making something up and it's either tell us you made this up or we're going to cut your head off, that's the time I'm done with the lie. No one dies for things they know is false. Because why? But these guys went from running, not wanting to be persecuted, not wanting to face trouble. When they received the Holy Spirit, all they did is say, we must obey God, not man. We will not stop talking about what we talked about. And the first time they got beat, you know what they said? They celebrated. They said, we are finally worthy enough to get beat. They beat us, and we didn't reject him this time let's celebrate and when they went back and prayed you know what they prayed for they didn't pray for persecution to go away they prayed for the power not to embarrass jesus during it and you know what the families of these coptic christians said what an honor it is for our loved one to be able to stand for jesus and step into his presence and hear well done good and faithful servant and the world is watching how dumb it was of our persecutors to give us this platform how many people you think said, this, this Jesus thing must be real if these guys are willing to do this? That's exactly what's happening here. The people in the tribulation will see these saints of God going, they never rejected him. They, all the beast asks is that they would worship him and they would be alive. And they wouldn't do it. They would rather die than blaspheme Jesus. And these were people who went into the tribulation not even believing. You see this also, we've, we've talked about this in uh, chapter 6, 9 through 11, chapter 7, 9 through 17, chapter 11, 7. Remember, we're looking back at these, these saints being killed. Now, and we'll look ahead and see something similar in 17, 6. And, of course, Daniel talked about this in chapter 7 again, this time verse 25. So this will come at the midpoint of the tribulation when Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel. You know, all these people say, we want peace to come to the Middle East. That's not going to happen until this. If peace comes to the Middle East, pack your bags, okay? Because we're going home. Because he's going to make peace, and they're going to think, this guy did it. He did what even Bill Clinton couldn't do, okay? Because remember, Bill was going to do that. He thought he had it done. And so what's going to happen? I love that George W. Bush showed his faith. And he wasn't perfect. I'd like seeing him finish his presidency a little more strong in his faith. Not that he did anything, but he had a chance to stand up a few times, and he just wasn't, he wasn't quite mature enough in his faith to know. But let me tell you one thing he did know. He didn't fool with the Middle East on trying to bring peace there. You know what he said? I've read ahead. That ain't going to happen. I shouldn't waste my time on that. God's the only one that's going to bring peace to that. 
And and so so he's going to break that covenant. He will overpower even the saints physically, but he will not overcome them spiritually. Now the final few verses, and then we'll stop for today. And all who dwell on earth will worship him, it, the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. I love that. All who dwell on the earth who are unbelievers, they will love this world, and they'll love him. John specifies this will be, uh, this will be of course, um, uh, the, the, when you look at the book of the Lamb, what he's saying is when you look at the book of the Lamb, those who are written in the book of the Lamb before the foundation of the world, uh, they will all be slain. So a lot of the saints are gone, Okay. Those who were not written there that get killed during this, they will perish. If you, if you want to find out more, read 2 Thessalonians 2.10 today and also 2 Thessalonians 2.12. It also calls for that. So it's going to conclude with a call for a spiritual understanding. Notice it does not say what the Spirit says to the churches anymore. That's another. Those that believe the church will not go through this, you don't hear that phrase anymore. But you do see a proverb get introduced in verse 10. And here's what it says. If God allows you to be taken prisoner, so be it. It's God's will for you to glorify him that way. If you are killed or martyred, die in a way that glorifies him. Don't seek vengeance. Just glorify God. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter when he's talking about the persecuted church. 1 Peter 4.19, persevere. Let them see your faith. 1 Peter 3.16. So understand that. Some of this kind of stuff might happen in our lifetime, not, not, not what he's seeing now, but it may happen in our lifetime, meaning how do we apply that today? Well, look, Peter and, and John said this, we, we, look, we must obey God rather than man. If we get to a point where we're arrested because we won't stop reading the Bible, we won't stop standing on Scripture, we won't stop going to church. He says, if they arrest you, do it in a way that brings glory to God. If they arrest you, God allowed it, so be it. He, arre- he let you be arrested so you would stand on the platform and continue to point people to the beam. If people kill you, die in a way that doesn't embarrass it. Die in a way that, that brings glory to God. Whatever God allows to happen to you, so be it. He's in control Can you get to the point that you can look at your life and it changed my life completely? When I go through difficulty, when I go through difficulty, my first move now is to say, what are you teaching me? What opportunity are you giving me? Because you've allowed it. Now, if I do something that brings discomfort because I did stupid things, then I go to God and say, I apologize, I did this, help me. I know I got myself in this, please help me get out. But if it's just things that you look around and go, this is just fallen creation stuff. I got a bad diagnosis. I got to, I heard some bad news. Hey, something happened. Hey, somebody's out to get me. I had something happen even yesterday on the air, Satan coming after me a little bit. I just go, here's an opportunity to glorify God. So let this monster from the abyss and his demons, I love this, have their hour. And that's all it's going to be. It's all under his control. What does Paul tell us in the great book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 37? We are more than conquerors. We will triumph on that glorious day when the kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, and his reign will be forever and ever. Let the world and all the garbage they're cranking out to blaspheme our Lord. Let them enjoy their hour and pray that they repent. But I promise you, it will not be allowed to go on forever. Jesus is going to take his reign. Let them blaspheme. Let them mock. Even the mocking and the blaspheming is being allowed. As the late Steve Farrar taught us all, never live in fear of people 
that God has to allow to breathe. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today, and thank you for the message. Thank you for the promises, Lord, and reminding us once again, even when things look difficult, they're not out of control. They're still under your control. Lord, thank you for the assessment of our lives today. Where do we stand? Are we worshiping images of the beast that are already here? Or are we worshiping you? Thank you for the reminder that we are either a children of God or we are children of the devil. There really is no in-between. Forgive us for thinking there is. And may we all take today's message and apply it to our lives as we continue to beg you to transform us into something that only you can. As we seek you, Lord, refine us, prepare us, give us the courage that only comes from you to face what is ahead, but more importantly, to face our biggest enemy, ourselves. Deliver us from ourselves. You told us to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow you. Help us to defeat ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.